0: right do it welcome to our episode 11 of the blockchain wine wagon podcast Uh, we've been talking about so many great things about blockchain and how amazing the technology is for the last uh, 10 episodes uh today we're going to dig into a little more technical deep dive uh, on into hyperledger and ethereum a little bit a little bit more technical and see how uh, the technology we choose and how to choose based on our the solutions we are creating. I'm your host, Chuck Chakuri, and I'm the founder of and CDO of Together MDM. We offer a blockchain based solution for curating single source of truth for master data. And I'm here with my co host, Brian Angle. Hello, Brian. How hey, are
1: Chuck, how goes it? Good. Oh, nice. Hey, I'm Brian. I'm just i am a, I'm a, I I love this stuff, blockchain enthusiast. I've been in the staffing business for 25 plus years. Hard to believe it's been that long. Uh, Working for a company called Stability now and um, more of a startup mentality, which is great. And uh, placing lots of people on the technical side. And this, uh, again, is my passion and looking forward to it today, Chuck. What do we got on Uh, tap?
0: I'm excited. Our topic today, like we said, is Hyperledger and Ethereum, right? uh you know, in choosing uh i'm seeing more and more customers like i think you have too uh that many companies are using both hyperledger and ethereum for different projects right uh, you know and i thought it would be a good idea because i haven't dug this kind of research before uh, just this last week uh trying right. to understand the detail and i'm like fascinated to learn so much intricate detail about them you know which Companies are using and how they're using, and what I want to do today, Brian, is uh, go into a little detail on how these platforms are differ in their design, how they're actually built, how they will likely evolve, right? And how do we know what is the best way to use them for what use case, right? Certain types of use case, Ethereum may be good for certain type of use cases. Hyperledger is good, and I would appreciate if you. You know, interject in between with the things in your research that you have seen, you know, for what they have done. Does that make sense? Makes sense. I love it. Yeah. So I was surprised to find there are, like, I tried to group the differences into 13 different ways, you know, 13 different differences that I thought might impact the actual choice. right? Right one of it is like i'm just going to go down the list uh, and then we can go through each one one is like one comes in a lot of flavors one is a specific monolith right what does that versions impact the choice and then also when these ledger transactions we talk about that are stored on the blockchain there is a way to execute these transactions. they both of the platforms take a slightly different view and they have Obviously, in a distributed environment, there are many types of nodes and how the nodes are distributed, what type of work they do, how the functionality of the blockchain gets distributed among, what are the different languages that these blockchains support, where do these uh, smart contracts actually work, how do they connect with other networks and systems, how do they handle failure, how can we see what kind of improvement we'll see in these two platforms. And then interestingly, fascinating to me is, uh, Brian, is uh, when we have a distributed network, there is a cost associated with it. And that cost has to be distributed somehow. You know, in blockchain uh, mainnets, they usually use tokens or tokenization to, you know, allocate the things, right? Uh, And then how are they actually implemented? What are the actual software layers? So that's the the, we're going to deep each. Does that make sense? That does sound good? Yeah, for sure. So, sorry, let's talk about versions and flavors. You've seen uh, various flavors for uh, Hyperledger, right? Which one did you see as most uh, used in your research? Did you see anything that is used more often than others? I think Fabric, uh, Fabric is seems like the most used with
1: Sawtooth coming in behind, but uh, Indy seems to be up there as well. So yeah, no, they got
0: they just different flavors for different things, right? Yeah, because Fabric obviously is the oldest of them all. So it's it makes sense to see most of it, right? Right. Yeah, so when somebody implements either Hyperledger or this, what my thinking is coming from an IT background. I feel like when you have more versions of it, and more versions, uh, I have to support for different functionality, managing upgrades would be a difficult thing, I would think, right, if Ethereum is one implementation, one release, you know, if a if a company has very strict uh, production development environments, and they have to manage all these versions, for any project, Hyperledger can be a challenge. Sure. So, it
1: I mean, it, yeah, it depends on, again, I, I think it depends on what, uh, what you're looking
0: to do as a as a company or organization or, or whatnot, for sure. Yeah, so the versions, I think, I don't know how significant it'll be in the list of all things, but that is something to pay attention to, you know? Agreed. Yeah, the, the next thing I was thinking about is like when we say execute a transaction, right? Uh, I'll just talk about a little bit about executing a transaction in a centralized situation. right? Currently- yeah,
1: ed- educate me. I'm, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> You're the technical guy.
0: <laughs> no, so today in a database, right? When, when when an executing a transaction, all the requests to make a change come to the database, they get queued up and the database executes one after the other and everything is fine. Right. But in a distributed environment, any node can execute a transaction. Right. Now, if I'm adding $5 into your account and somebody's taking $10 from your account, there has to be an order to this, right? You can just take the money out and then add to it. You, know, you have to add right. money exactly. to take the money out of it. So this management of this transaction, Uh, gets a little bit more complicated, right? So now you have to figure out how to order the execution, how to, you know, then execute the transaction, right? So these are the two things you have to order and you have to execute. So what Hyperledger does to make it faster, they execute it and then they order it. Mm -hmm. Now there is a problem that you have to validate it. Right. Because if you order and execute, you're fine. But if you execute an order, you have to validate right and that can be deferred so the way hyperledger does its uh, execution is first it executes it orders and then it validates hmm. so it becomes faster but on the right. other hand ethereum just orders first and then executes now this ordering to coordinate with a lot of nodes takes time right and that becomes slower right
1: so right so there's more nodes that get on right it's going to be slower and slower over time, right?
0: Yes. So that's why I think hyperledger tends to be more private so that they have control over who can submit orders so that the validation becomes easier. That's why they have permitted and permission networks rather than a public network. Because in a public network, validation becomes a lot harder. Hmm. Right? So private permission nodes then my validation is a lot simpler. It's less likely to fail because I know the people I know right. who can do it. Right. So execute, order, validate becomes faster if the validation is easier. Right. Makes sense. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's, that's why they chose that execution or transaction, the way they are, execute the transactions. But I think that is a purely performance play, which one you choose. Right. If you really need a permission environments in a closed set of nodes. Hyperledger is ideal, particularly for a business that makes that's what I'm thinking. Does it make mm-hmm. sense?
1: Yes, makes,
0: exactly. So there's another interesting thing that Hyperledger does that Ethereum doesn't. So when we say a blockchain, right, blockchain is, has two aspects to it, two things it does. One is working with other nodes, and then the other one is managing the transactions. Right. Working with other nodes is something called a core functionality. Every every blockchain network needs to work with other nodes,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. right? And then also do transactions. Now, in Ethereum, that working with nodes and transactions is the same part the core and the functionality is integrated into one thing, mm-hmm. but in, 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 uh, hyperledger, they do some, the core is what they communicate with other networks and the functionality is in another, network. so they separate it out. Right. So they, they separate the part of working with other nodes in one section and that executing the transaction in another section. Right. So they, right. for that, they have something called modules, like it's, they use a channel. Like a channel zero is just for working with other nodes, right? Channel one is working with functionality, right? Now that, that interestingly creates an interesting idea because once you have one channel, you can have many channels, right? So what they do is the the additional channel, let's say there are 10 people in a blockchain, uh, two people can communicate on their own channel, right? That is too so private for them, so they can like they have private communications are possible between two parties, because they can open up another channel. In blockchain, there is no in Ethereum there is no such concept of a channel, so everybody come, everybody communicates with everybody, <laughs> right? All right. So there is no additional privacy. Everything is public. Everybody can see it. Correct. So that difference in thing that use of channels, modular, if that is important for a particular project, right? Hyperledger is the one. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yes, it does. So I think that was an interesting design. But it's also kind of cool. Well, all this stuff is cool, Chuck. <laughs> I know. But I, I, the way I, I learned so much this week, Brian, because I didn't know all of this before. Last week, when we decided we won't dig into detail,
1: I started- <laughs> I, gotta be, I gotta be honest with you, I was a little skeptical when you said, uh, let's dig into this. But yeah, there's it's is pretty, uh, very informative. And uh, you know what, a, a big thing I noticed here, and I, I know you got a lot of other technical things to go over, but um, man, a lot, you know, you know, like an IBM and a Microsoft, um, you know, those companies are, their toes are in both sides They're, you know they have you know ethereum stuff built on the ethereum platform and they also are on the Hyperledger. so um on that side as well it's partnering with companies doing a great project so it's pretty you know pretty fun to see like hey these large companies see opportunities in in both places and i, I completely agree with them you know there's it just depends what a company is looking to do or what
0: a entity is looking to do yeah because i think there is a need for both of them and they just have to figure out which project is ideal for which and i'm sure they did the right thing but so also when we have this functionality right when i said core and when there is functionality this functionality is implemented using its own language uh, in the case of ethereum <coughs> they have solidity surprisingly in Hyperledger, you can use any type of language you can use go ruby depending on the version obviously right Uh, Ruby, Python, Java, they they can support so many. And I was surprised, how can they do so many? Because every computer language needs to execute on some kind of a virtual machine, right? Some kind of a place where the code executes. Right. So in Ethereum, there is only one virtual machine called Ethereum virtual machine, which is a basic Turing complete. What I mean by Turing complete means you can write any computationally complex program on it. Right. So it can pretty much do anything on a EVM. Now, on the other hand, I just learned this this week is Hyperledger uses a pre existing Docker, a Docker environment. Now, once you have Docker, you can run anything. Right? Right. You can once so they use Docker to run all this code. So that is brilliant right so if you have a, a docker that can be a distributed node in a network it can pretty much do it so the fact that they're using docker and this docker can work with other nodes with other machines in other in other nodes of the network and coordinate the transaction right so so if this, again, when I have to choose a project, if I'm choosing a brand new project, choosing other language would be tough if I can do on many. If I have a team of people and somebody will say we'll do Go, somebody will say we'll do Ruby, somebody will say we'll do C++, right? I mean, all of these languages are valid, but choosing a language is also tough if you can do more. Yeah, I think it depends. I mean, correct me if I'm
1: wrong here, and I probably am wrong, but, uh, you know, it depends what version of or what, uh, you know, what area of Hyperledger you're using now. If you're using Sawtooth, then yeah, you can uh, do a lot of these languages and and you can do any of that. But if you're using like Hyperledger Fabric, if you're doing that, there's only only one, right? Yes. Yes.
0: So Hyperledger Fabric is, uh, you can think of it as the, most basic uh, framework, right? Once you have that, you need some kind of identity, right? You need some kind of a chain code functionality. Uh, And Iroha and the other one was whatever that they're used for identity. Now, Mm -hmm. you want to use that, because that will reduce a lot of your effort from using fabric. Right? And most likely, if you have a supply chain or something like that, which has some kind of built in functionality into it, built in libraries into it, most people will use end up using sawtooth or any of these other versions Mm -hmm. where they have these choices. Right. Most of the people who built Hyperledger five years ago, they all had only fabric. So they had to build it in Go. You know. And you're right. If you use fabric, you're limited to go. If you use any other ones, there are things. Personally, Brian, I don't want to learn too many languages, sorry. <laughs> right, yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: I just want to pick solidity, be done with it, you know. <laughs> if I can. Uh, but another thing that I'm noticing uh, when I was thinking about this, Hyperledger gives you a lot of options. A lot of built-in base functionality, so you can really build something quickly, like uh, Lego blocks, mm-hmm. right? On On the other hand, if you're building something with Ethereum, what you have to do is you have to really build from ground up, right? Then no real Lego blocks. So, as a, as a software engineer and a software architect, Lego blocks makes it faster. Ethereum makes me, forces me to build a much simpler design, much cleaner design, much right. focused design, right? Because I don't have time to build all these big components. Right. So I'm more grounded to the basics, right? So for any project that requires that type of a simplistic thinking, simplistic execution, simplistic maintenance then solidity is good or ethereum is good when places where i have a lot of functionality i need to build faster i have all the lego blocks that i need then i would choose hyperledger right makes sense
1: it makes exactly
0: so that's that's what i was thinking when i was looking at that particular uh, difference now this is interesting The next one is okay i have a blockchain network either in hyperledger or hyper ethereum it cannot exist in vacuum it needs to connect with other other networks or you know other systems that i have right so when that comes to interoperability hyperledger beats ethereum 100 times right because it has it is very customizable because i can write it in different languages Right. Because it's modular. It's not constrained by the EVM. Right. I, yep. I, I can write a lot of those customers. If I have very custom legacy systems that I want to integrate with or legacy processes that I want to integrate with, uh, you definitely want Hyperledge. Yep. Makes sense. Right. Uh, on the other hand, Ethereum is a network. And if it needs to convert, connect to other networks, there are things like oracles, they call them, right? Like a hooks that mm-hmm. you build, or you can have a separate chain, side chain that has this additional functionality that you can't build into EVM and build these side chains, right? That's how you would in, uh... So interoperability, if it is simple, then Ethereum is the way to go. But if this interoperability is very complex with legacy systems then you have no choice, but use Hyperledger, you know? Right. And I think that's why we are seeing so many companies who are building projects for their own internal use or their partners that integrate with their legacy systems. They're all choosing Hyperledger.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I was always wondering, like I always liked Ethereum and then I'm seeing so many more projects in Hyperledger. I was always wondering, why are they choosing more Hyperledger? Now this makes sense,
1: right? Well, I think if you need, you know, again, speed of transaction and and uh, a lot of scalability right off the bat, I mean, that's Hyperledger is. I mean, seems like a, you know the way to at least start looking at right.
0: Yeah, the first place I'm going to, to turn to. But I do I do want to make a case for uh, Ethereum because the product that I'm building, I've chosen Ethereum, and I'm I feel actually good about my choice is because uh, I am, mine is a public, it's not a public, it's a private network, but open to the public. Right, right, right. <laughs> Which is not a public network. A public network means anybody can Anyone, join, right. right? But a private network open to public is very different. <laughs> right. Because I don't want permission, but I want people to, with any kind of credentials to connect to it with very limited, limited uh, checks. Right. So for that purpose, Ethereum and my use case is also very simple with a very few rules. Right. Very limited uh, interoperability needed. So I have chosen Ethereum. And for those type of things, a private network with public access, Ethereum is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow, we already covered like six or seven differences. (laughs) Five more. You know, I this this particular research made me think about failure. Right. Usually, how do we deal with failure in IT in systems in uh, today we have uh, a centralized database The way we deal with failure is disaster recovery, backup recovery procedure, how fast we can bring up the second node with full functionality. Right. Right. So that's our fault tolerance. You know, how do we handle failure? Because things are going to fail and we need a failed system. Now, the problem with a distributed network, right? The failure can be anywhere in a lot of notes. Right? Right. Now, what happens is there is a two fundamental things that come into play when we discuss failure, theoretically, is uh, deterministic and non deterministic. Explain uh, those. What is that? Yeah. So <laughs> the current failure, right? We know exactly what failed, right? And then we bring up a DR. That is a deterministic failure. Right? It is very easy to implement. Okay, when this goes down, bring this up. Right? That's pretty basic. Yes. Yeah, very basic. Now, what if think about it this way, a network has 10 nodes, the network gets split into. If a node goes down, you can ignore it and rest of them can work, right? So right. A, 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 a network of ten nodes are more fault resilient, right? One node goes down, still there are nine to do the job. Mm-hmm. If eight do, eight go to the go down, no problem. They can still do the job. So they are more fault resistant, right? A network of nodes is fault resistant. But imagine this, if a network splits into two, five, five nodes, right? Both think they're okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And both are processing nodes and making changes. That becomes non-deterministic because they can't really know if they failed. Right. Right. So. One is called, I'll give you names for it now.
1: Yeah.
0: What <laughs> is crash fault tolerant? Okay, which is a deterministic fault tolerance. Mm-hmm. One is Byzantine fault. tolerant. Okay, so that that's a more complex. Uh, that's where the consensus mechanisms come into play. No, How many a, know. Interesting.
1: Biz- I did read up on Byzantine fault tolerance. I did read up about that. I, I did read that. That's yeah.
0: Right. yeah. About that is the default by that in fault tolerance, right? Yeah. So, I... so they, they have to prove something is working for a certain time before they know it's not bad or it has been working. So there's a lot of complex uh, math to it. Uh, Hyperledger has a simplistic crash fault tolerance, right? When something node comes up. They have some kind of a voting mechanism, but they also support Byzantine fault tolerance in Sawtooth and some other places. You can implement it, okay? And mm-hmm. this fault tolerance is also makes it slow, right? To make sure you're not failed is a is a work somebody has to do, mm-hmm. right? right? So, so that also, uh, I don't know how much it is important or. uh so the way i'm thinking is whenever there is a fault whenever there is a failure right it is safe to assume some corruption right corruption in data mm-hmm. you know like a wrong transactions coming in right if you have a very efficient because failures are rare okay right. are not frequent when you can recover from those Corruptions quickly. Crash fault already is okay. Right? That's what we do, right? When we when I have a central system and if I can mean time to recovery is like thirty minutes, I don't care. I'm only back by thirty minute. My data right. is still, right. If mean time to recovery is twenty days, then I, I can deal with it. Right? So if your application requires the time to recover from corruptions and automate those corruptions. How far can you go back? That uh, also dictates which hyperledger do you want? Right. Which hyperledger or which Ethereum do you want? Makes sense? It makes sense. So that was a tricky thing for me to get my hands, hands around it. Uh, (laughs) Right. Uh, That that particular topic. And and I want to tell you something more interesting. You should look this up. I will. (laughs) Look, and this is new brand new. Okay, a lot of people don't even know how to do it yet. And crypto has opened uh, eyes to it. It's called uh, zero knowledge proof. Cool. I wrote that. I'll definitely look it up. Yeah, that's. What is it? I don't even know. What is it? Yeah, I'm learning about it right now, and it has amazing impl- implications in really building robust uh, applications on top of it. Hmm. I
1: have to look at that. Awesome. Yeah. No, that's uh, you know that's with the other the proof of work
0: validation for you know Ethereum. Basically, is, it just takes it takes
1: time, right? That's yeah, no,
0: It is does that. So prover and verifier. What basically to summarize it is, how can I prove to something that I know something without telling you what I know? Right? right? I know the answer. But I don't want to tell you how I get to the answer.
1: <laughs> right, right.
0: Uh, that's, that's a lot of privacy implications. I I want to tell you who I am without really giving up a lot of information about me. Right, right, right. Right? I don't want to tell you my social security number. I don't tell you my username. I don't want to tell you my password. I don't want to give you anything. Right. But I still want you to be convinced that it's me. So that's the zero knowledge proof. Hmm. That is interesting. Yeah. So that is something I learned when I'm dealing with this. Anyway, let's move on to our next... uh, a difference. You know, when we invest a lot of time and money into a project, particularly open source stuff, like Hyperledger and ethereum. Mm-hmm. These things are getting released every few months. They're getting upgraded. And we are also pushing the limits of their functionality. You know what of I mean? Course. Yeah, right. So what becomes very important is you are making changes to your product, which takes a year to build, And in that year, they're going from release eight to release nine, or release eight point five to eight point six, or eight point eight, and they're also making changes. And we need to know how they are improving. We have to see their release plan, their product plan, so that it is aligned with my own product roadmap.
1: So, a funny thing that you mentioned that so is you know it takes a while they're building, right? So, I actually was, I'm I'm always. I love case studies, right? I love case studies. Love the, uh, love how these companies are you know, kind of disrupting things and changing how we do business. Um, but one of it, uh, Hey, you're, your thinking of a, it takes a while to implement. Well, one, one of the largest ones here, the, the chain link and IBM came together for, you know, healthcare system, but, uh, well, I'm sorry. I think that's a, 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 a healthcare company. They, uh, to do all their claims transactions, uh, they thought it was going to take a long time too. Uh, it only took them less than four months to implement a solution, uh, to test it fully, test fully implement, and actually get it working in in the game. So, it, it can be done rather quickly. Uh, just to, again, depending, I'm sure, on the level of of buy-in from you know all all sides. I
0: agree with you. The sense that. A solid product, when I'm saying you can finish it right away, but to make it really, to get to the product market fit or to really evolve it, to make it more usable, it takes a year. Right? The first thing that they put in is just a pilot. And you can get to that pilot very, very fast today. Mm-hmm. Right? Because a lot of functionality, a lot of the cloud, a lot of the tools that are out there, you can really build a lot of stuff much, much faster than what you used to do before, right? And then you usually have a roadmap. My point here is uh, when we are planning our product, that plan has to align with the improvement plan for both Hyperledger or Ethereum, whichever you choose, Mm -hmm. because they're also improving, whether it's fast or slow. You know what I mean? If they're diverging, you're building your product one way and they're going off on another way. Right then you're you're stuck with the older version and you're not getting the right support. Makes sense. It makes perfect sense. So what I was trying to say here in this particular one improvement path, the way Hyperledger is improving or how they are evolving is they're adding more and more modules to do more and more of the function, like more and more Lego blocks. Right right so to make it easy now if they want to connect with uh, ethereum they came up with hyperledger Besu to help connect with internet with ethereum type of clients right if you want to connect with an ethereum network you put your hyperledger Besu, and that will help you connect with the regular ethernet it's almost like an evm that they ported and built it Mm -hmm. right so they are going to build more and more building blocks that is their typical improvement plan. That's what they're stuck to. And EVM, on the other hand, the way they are improving is they're improving the language and they're improving the virtual machine. Right. So they, that's a very different improvement plan. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I am using Ethereum and I'm write, trying to write a feature, which is very difficult to write, and now I'm putting it in a side chain. And if I can see their roadmap, and then their, when they increase the language, I can do it inside the EVM and not a side chain. I can plan for it today. Right. Right. So knowing that also, I think, helps uh, and see what, where they're going. If Hyperledger is going a very different way than where you're going, you might as well start on Ethereum right now. Sure. Right. Or Ethereum is going a very different way than where you want to go then choosing blockchain, hyperledger would be a better option. Mm -hmm. So when I say choosing a hyperledger or Ethereum, we should also pay attention to the improvement plan. Exactly. Oh, this is the, this is a very, the next one I'm going to talk about is uh, distribution of costs. Okay, when you run a large node of 10,000 nodes or 5,000 nodes, right? Some are big nodes, some are small nodes, some process more data, some process less data. Right? How do you distribute the costs? Right, and that's a big thing, right? Yeah, so in... uh, Ethereum, which is typical to a blockchain network, a more traditional blockchain network uh, based on Bitcoin, they have tokens. So you can mine for tokens. The more work you do, the more tokens you get, and then the tokens have a value. Mm-hmm. So any application you build on Ethereum has to have that feature involved to distribute the cost. Okay, it's a private network. Everybody's own, Every, every node is owned by the same group of people. Then there's no need for distribution of costs. You can make gas price zero and run it. Right. And then there's no cost and everything will be fast. But on the other hand, Fabric has no such concept. There's no uh, cost distribution because everything is permission and price. So there's no tokenization capability. Right. So if you're building a virtual game where you want to reward your players for participation, you definitely can't use Hyperledger. Right. Agreed. Right. So then Ethereum is the way to go if it's for a game where you want to help people or incentivize them. Right. Or using the blockchain. Right. Ethereum is the way to go. So that that is the distribution of costs uh, that one has it and the other one doesn't have it. Sawtooth has some kind of distribution cost. BESO also has it because it's EVM, okay? So that is the distribution of cost. Now let's talk about the distribution of work, okay? How is the work distribution distributed among the various nodes, right? I, I, not all nodes are the same. So remember when we talked about Uh, core and functionality being different right so hyperledger has dedicated some nodes called orderers because they are the ones that are responsible for ordering the transaction right peer nodes are the ones that are responsible for executing the transaction right Client nodes are the ones that are executed, nodes that are executed, that receive the transaction and execute it. So, their client nodes, peer nodes, and orderers are very different, very similar to their execution model of execute order validate. Okay, so they remember we talked about execute order, how the transaction executed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The same functionality is distributed like that. Now, on Ethereum, all nodes are the same. So now the way they differentiate their nodes are based on the data that they have. Right. So if you're only reading a certain type of data and you're not participating in transactions, they call it a light node, okay? And there are some nodes called full nodes that have all the data and they participate in the transaction. And then because the data gets so much and so much more, if they have so much data, they become slow, right? Right. So what they have, and if you want to do, analyze the blockchain, and see how much who is running what, and if you want to do much deeper, so they have something called an archive node. The archive node has all the data where you can run analysis. On. Hmm. So their distribution of nodes, uh, the distribution of work is very different. right? So if you have a big need for a lot of analysis, right? Then you need an archive node and then Ethereum is the way to go. Right. Right? So if you want to build analysis on Hyperledger, you probably will create a copy and keep it separate to do your analysis, which has all the nodes, right? So that's one thing. And then this kind of goes back to the next point goes back to uh, the handling of failure. Right. Right. So more than the handling of failure, it is also coordination of nodes to make a transaction. Like when Mm -hmm. something happens and 10 people get, I get one change, you get one change, somebody else get one change. They need to be ordered, executed and validated. So how do we coordinate this? Right, the way uh, it's coordinated in Hyperledger, it's very customizable. Okay, the consensus mechanisms on Hyperledger are very, very uh, varied and very flexible. On Ethereum, it's proof of work, proof of stake. Those are the ones that come built in, and it's very little it says a limited customization because they're mostly different uh, based on Byzantine fault tolerant mechanisms. Okay, because the, co- 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 the coordination also has to take into consideration. What if something goes wrong?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Right. That's why the fault tolerance kind of plays a role into this coordination. Right. And one thing I really liked is you know how this one, there's called something called proof of elapsed time. Okay. If something, if certain time has elapsed, then it is considered true. Mm-hmm. And that, that reminded me like, you know, how uh, there is a real estate law. You go into somebody's house. Let's say you went to India for, for seven years. I go into your house, I pay your taxes. Your house becomes mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's that it, it's, it's a it's a funny way uh but that's that's how proof of elapsed time works if a, if a certain transaction has happened and nobody can tell nobody validated it that becomes true right whether it's valid or not it becomes valid <laughs> <laughs> uh i mean we are almost on our last So there is a, this is an interesting, right? a blockchain is a bunch of nodes and then software running on all of the nodes, mm-hmm. right? Now this software has a couple of things. It has hardware, it has a data, it has some kind of a network, connections with other people, and it has some logic, right? Those are the four things any software has. So both of them support CPUs and GPUs for the hardware, okay? When it comes to data, Hyperledger is so simple. You can use any RDBMS for it. You can use MySQL, you can use SQL Server, you can use anything to store Hyperledger data,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And they're always in blocks, but these blocks can be in a database right? of any database. On the other hand, uh, Ethereum uses something called a Merkle chain, Merkle tree, right? Merkle tree is basically a linked list of pointers, right? One block referring to another block, referring to another block, to referring to another. Block referring to another block. Right, right. So it's just a hierarchical data layer, and that's what Ethereum uses. Because this data is in RDBMS, the analysis becomes a little easier. Okay. But then the data in the Merkle tree, you need like more API-driven type of interface graph like graph libraries that they use. Right? And when it comes to network, Hyperledger has a separate channel for managing that, mm-hmm. which is for coordinating and all. On Ethereum, it's managed by the client itself. It's like there's a certain protocol that they use the Ethereum protocol to connect with all the other things right and on this one on hyperledger they have their nodes which are run docker on ethereum it's uh evm you know those differences i don't know if they make a difference in, uh, like i i don't know how much they influence on the choice for your use case then
1: right yeah i, I yeah, yeah. It's, I, i'm not sure
0: I don't know. Yeah, because that I don't I even I have not seen a lot of uh, research on this particular subject. I have mm-hmm. to dig, dig into the details of the actual code. Uh, not code, but the documents on Hyperledger website, on the right. Ethereum website, read yeah. their papers, how their storage is connected. So I have to read all of that to get an idea on these these differences. So I think that's my exhaustive take on the differences. I think that's a, a fantastic overview by all means. So what do you think? Was it, uh, how does it help anybody, uh, in terms of choosing, which do you think seems more important? Maybe let me rephrase my question of all these things as non-technical user if you're a cto who from what i told you what would be your summary of choosing i mean it it just it depends what i'm looking to do for
1: you know hey if i'm looking to you know deploy a gaming application or do something with gaming i'm going to do it on ethereum it's open everybody could use it you can get on there and i can charge you and all that kind of great stuff or what what i i'm going to deploy it on ethereum if uh You know, hey, if I'm looking at uh, I want I want a lot of control. I want to understand who is going to be part of my network. And Mm -hmm. I want to, frankly, have faster, you know, faster transaction speeds. I'm going to I'm going to first look at Hyperledger, a Hyperledger solution. So I think it starts out with, you know, hey, what are you looking to do as a company um, or an entity? What am I looking to do? And then Mm -hmm. kind of go from there. There's pluses and minuses for each one. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of great things about each one and uh, it's finding out which one, which one makes the most sense. Awesome. But I think you ran down a lot of the, you know, specifically a lot of the tech side, a lot of, uh, a lot of what, Hey, what makes sense and, and Hey, what are we programming in right now is, you know, what's the cost of either, you know, hiring new people or moving over, you know, what are all those costs involved and, and uh, what am I looking to do as an application and, everything along those lines. So I, I think it's a, you know, a very good overview of what you gave on uh, um, what I'm looking to do.
0: Awesome. Uh, yeah. On which side? Hyperledger side or Ethereum side? Mm -hmm. Right. How would you invest in Hyperledger? I'm curious. But there is no monetization in that one. I'm I'm curious. Have you come across any uh, projects that are asking for money on Hyperledger?
1: It was uh, uh, people get rewarded. Now I don't know what they get rewarded, but I was there. There's a few projects that yeah, you, you get rewarded for you know for being a consensus for for approving the transactions. Yes, there's some type of reward. Now I, I don't know what kind of reward. Something again, I didn't go down the rabbit hole of that much. And I'm just, uh, it was really interesting to me this, the, the difference between the two and, and things of that sort. So I really didn't get into that side.
0: Yeah. Well, that's cool. good to know Shiva, I, because I, your perspective is important because as somebody who develops stuff, right? Particularly for enterprise applications. Hyper. That no, no wonder most uh, hyperledger is the most common choice for a lot of company-centric uh, apps. Yeah, I mean, because it makes sense, right? You get to control
1: who's who, who gets to see information, and your partners. If you have partners as well, you get to control who see. I mean, it's a lot easier to control and faster speed of who sees information and and. Uh, uh, you don't want everybody seeing all your information all the time. A lot of these companies are very private, right? You don't want to give your competition a leg up.
0: You know, when you guys are talking, it just occurred to me that the current mindset of a centralized computation to a decentralized computation, right? Hyperledge, I think, is the bridge to get there, right? From a centralized mindset, you get into a decentralized mindset, from a purely decentralized mindset. Because Hyperledger, I think, is giving that option of still some private data. You know what I mean? Still some private communication, rather than a fully open data, open, fully transparent system, like an Ethereum. Yeah, you could be right. Right? I'm thinking that might be what's happening. Anyways, we have reached our 50-minute uh, mark. I think I I really enjoyed it and I learned a lot, Brian. I hope you do when re- doing the yeah, research. Yeah, oh, I learned a lot because that's... I, I absolutely
1: learned a lot. I appreciate you breaking it down like that, Jeff. And thanks, I, thanks for your I'm
0: input, love it. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much, guys. I think it was uh, time to wrap it up and appreciate both of you for participating in learning helping me learn by all means no thank
1: you for thank you for driving this one i really uh learned a lot and i I really appreciate it It makes me want to dive deeper yep thank you shiva cool thanks guys